We are dealing with um, a significant number of people who are tech illiterate, and it impacts every part of their life. Obviously, we're just talking about the role that it plays uh, in your financial life. Uh, And I think about it no differently uh, or I should say, I take it just as seriously as I would if we were dealing with, let's say, a actual uh, reading literacy challenge. Mm-hmm. And let's say you had a elder who had prescription medicine and their inability to read sort of led them to take improper doses or miss something or, you know, something like that. Like if that were the case, we would take that very seriously and we would put all of these systems and things in place to ensure that we keep these people safe. But we don't think about the sort of ramifications or consequences of illiteracy when it comes to money. So all of that to say, and joking aside, that's why we are covering this particular subject in this conversation. Welcome to the Rich and Regular podcast presented by Success, where we explore life at the intersection of money. I'm Julian. I'm Kirsten, and today we're talking about tech literacy and the role that it plays in our financial lives. Yes. You know, (laughs) I feel like I feel like a broken record at this point. Um, Maybe we've just sort of reached a certain point in our podcasting journey where I feel like I've said certain things over and over again. But like I am genuinely very (laughs) excited about this topic and not because it's like an exciting topic it's actually a pretty somber one but i think it's one of those topics that not enough people are talking about or have connected the dots and so i'm glad that we're actually digging into it yeah i feel like people talk about it at like an aggregate level it reminds me of climate change and the people who were ringing the bell about climate change like 10 years ago yeah but they had very limited language to describe you know, what What we're supposed to do about it. It was just kind of like, manage your carbon footprint. And it's like, well, those are new words. I don't even know what that means. Right. What, is this, what does that mean? <laughs> and so this is very similar where it's like, how do I know if I'm illiterate? I know how to do email. I have a smartphone. I have a Netflix account. Like, yeah. clearly, I'm not part of the problem. Or maybe I am. So it's just, I'm happy that we're kind of talking about it. To your point, it's a very big subject yeah. because tech is such a broad word. But hopefully we land at least one or two insights that make people think differently about, you know, where they sit in on the literacy spectrum. Yeah, I called it the uh, the Facebook effect. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and trademark that now. But well, they're meta, so oh, the, well, okay. Well, then I, I can the legally use the Facebook effect, cool. the meta effect. <laughs> <laughs> but but I remember, I mean, gosh, it seems so long ago having this conversation with people who wanted us to do these amazing things. And by we, I'm actually like going back in time when I was in a digital marketing role, and we would have these clients who would have these crazy expectations of what they would want us as the brand or the company or corporate to do. And I just remember thinking. Like, we can't do that. But again, because they could do all these things Mm -hmm. on Facebook and they felt like, you know, it was just a push of a button Mm -hmm. that you should be able to do that as a marketer or as a brander or as a web person. It's like, "Eh, it doesn't really work. It's like, no, Facebook stole all of the world's best engineers. Like, the world's best. I remember people (laughs) being so upset. We cannot replicate that. That we couldn't change like a search result on Google. Yeah. Because they thought it was just like a yellow pages online. Just submit it. Right. Submit a form. So now, exactly. Exactly. Just submit the form. Like, you guys should know you're the big company. Right. So here we are 10 years guy? later. Who's your Google guy? 
surely you got a guy. Everyone has a guy. And I was like, it's not. It's not how it works. But that's what we get for saying, you know, for using examples like, oh, it's like the plumbing on the internet. Oh, you know? I know. And that's like, All the right. limitation of metaphors. Exactly. Well, anyway, I want to dive right into it. And I hope that that is the only time I've ever left. I'm going to try really, really hard to, to stay focused because this. Reader, listener, it will not be the only time he veers. Hold me to it. Hold me to it. Um, okay. So. I want to think back uh, to the first time that I actually noticed this was a problem in my life. And and I'm probably wrong about this, but I think the earliest memory that I have was right around this time last year. And that's not to say that I didn't realize that tech literacy wasn't a problem. But I remember the first time it like really hit home for me. And it was shortly after we moved my mom into her new place. Mm-hmm. And I remember trying to teach her how to use the Nest thermostat. Mm-hmm. And I know that she knew what it was because we've we had, had one. one for years mm-hmm. and she changed the temperature. She could do that part. But now that she owned one, like the pressure was on for her to figure out how to use it, to set yeah. it, to update it. And don't even get me started on like, now you can also use the app. You don't have to get out oh, of your yeah. bed. You can turn it off. You don't have to worry about whether or not you left it on. You learn your behavior so oh, you don't We didn't even get into it. all of that. <laughs> she just saw the big number in the middle and thought it was like touchscreen. Mm-hmm. Which is a fair assumption. It is. But I sat there and I was like, well, it's not. There is actually, it is a button. It's like a big old button. Yeah. That number is just sort of the thermostat reading or the temperature that you're setting it. And then the outer rim is the dial. Yeah, it's it, it's, it is actually, as I was getting, you know, as I was trying to explain it to her, I was like, okay, you know what? This is pretty confusing. It's not like, you know, the iPhone or something like that. Yeah, so it's like an Apple mouse compared to a Windows mouse. C- correct. Correct. And it is kind of touchscreen, but it's yeah. not. So it was actually pretty confusing. And But what really stuck with me was that even after I explained it, she couldn't figure it out. Mm-hmm. Like she would go right back to pushing the button. I was like, no, that's not a button. The button's here. And she'd go back. Now you do it. She pushed the button. And it just kept, <laughs> I was like stuck in like an episode of like Groundhog Day. <laughs> it was so funny, but also kind of frustrating. But it also made me think back to all of the other examples that were sort of leading up to that. And she's literally always been kind of uncomfortable. And even as I say uncomfortable, I'm struggling to find words to describe it because I think we don't really have words to describe it, which is we why we sort of landed on the word illiteracy. That's, right. that's actually what it's called. And we don't like to call it that because the term itself is sort of frowned upon. It's almost like insulting. Um, but that's what it's called. It's a tech illiteracy. You can call it discomfort. You can call it whatever you want. But mm-hmm. if you don't know what some of these um, symbols intuitively stand for or what these words mean or any of this jargon, like mm-hmm. you are sort of clueless and you're guessing and fumbling your way through and just, you know, you really need someone to show you or to teach you how to use products. And like, it's yeah. just kind of weird. And, um, you know, I, I'll land on this. I, I remember when we shot Money on the Table, I think it was episode two, season one, and we invited her over for dinner. We were just sort of unpacking her origin story and growing up in Jamaica. And one of the things that really stuck with me is that she grew up in Jamaica without electricity. Mm -hmm. And that was so... Uh, telling for me. She remembers the day that the lights came on. Yeah, she remembers that. And then it just made me think like, okay, we literally, like granted, one generation removed, but I grew up 
you know, very comfortable with technology. And it was helpful for me because it made me realize that, okay, you're dealing with someone who didn't grow up with technology. And you can joke about that or be frustrated about that, but like her learning curve is significantly steeper than ours ever was. Yeah. And so it's, it's yeah, it was just kind of helpful. But anyway. Yeah, you, you touched on a lot. I think I'll, I'll double click <laughs> on the first part, which is just the word illiteracy and why it feels so harsh to call yeah. it that because it, it almost feels like an accusation, like something you've chosen not to do. And it feels like an unnatural choice because it, you immediately make this link to reading. Yes. Most people understand the value of reading. And so they choose to do it, even if it's much later in life, like, you know, it might be way later in life, you understand the value of reading and you choose to do it. But with tech illiteracy, it's not as simple as learning how to understand the alphabet and sound out words. Like there is symbolism, there is sounds, there's iconography. And so like when I'm explaining something to my mom and I'm like, click the hamburger, she's like, she what does that mean? I don't see a hamburger. She, yeah, no, she's like, I don't see a hamburger. And I'm like, oh, you mean the three vertical lines? Like yeah. that typically translates to menu, you know? But yeah, I, I completely relate. I remember those moments with your mom. And it's funny because my parents are actually opposites with their tech attitudes. Right. My dad fully embraces and adopts technology and has for the last 20, 30 years. I'm one of the few people in my peer group that I know that had like a personal computer at home. And we had the printer where the paper was all stuck together and you had to like tear up, tear it apart and tear oh, off yeah. the edges. Like I remember that. We had, one of, we had one of those. My dad also had one of the first car phones. And we had to call them car phones because they were not mobile or portable in any way. Like they had to be plugged into oh, yeah. the cigarette adapter. <laughs> like It was all very dangerous, <laughs> but he's just always been a gadget guy. And my mom has always had kind of one foot in and one foot out. She worked in corporate America. So she's familiar with, you know, basic Google searches, email, word processing, things like that. But if you ask her to scan a picture or convert a document or share something from the cloud, she's like, hold up now. Whoa, yeah. whoa, 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 wait a minute. <laughs> and even with shopping, like she'll use her phone to look up an item, but then she will drive to the store to get it. Like that's about it. Sometimes she'll have it shipped. Target is the exception. She's very familiar with the Target app. They even got her to like adopt drive up. Wow. But everywhere else, she's just going to send me the link and be like, you order it. <laughs> Can you order this for Yeah, me? I see the picture. Yeah. <laughs> this thing. Your mom does that too. I get links from all the moms. Bring one of these things home. Yeah. Make it happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's really interesting because, um, you know, to your point, I'll, it's not triple click. I'm going to open the file. I'm going to go further. <laughs> what? Drag and drop. I'm going to drag and drop. <laughs> go full jargon. I'm going to go full tech jargony. Like, I'm going to save this whole thing <laughs> to my emotional desktop. <laughs> oh, um, my God. <laughs> but no, like, there's there's a, um, you know, you, you were talking about reading. Um, and I was also thinking about how uh, virtuous the act of reading is mm-hmm. and how being able to read or being well read oh, is seen as privilege a, and a, social a privilege indicator. and a sign of, of intelligence. Oh, yeah. And I think that's part of the challenge here is because when we start talking about or using the word illiteracy, it's so tied to reading. reading. It feels like an insult. And if anyone is sort of considered illiterate in any way, mm-hmm. there's sort of an insinuation that this person is not intelligent yes. uh, or is lazy thinking or can't, or, read. Or can't read. They just ignore the tech part uh, altogether. Correct. <laughs> correct. And so, yeah, that's part of the challenge here. But that is where we are. We are dealing with 
um, a significant number of people who are tech illiterate, and it impacts every part of their life. Obviously, we're just talking about the role that it plays uh, in your financial life. Uh, and I take it just as seriously as I would if we were dealing with, let's say, a actual uh, reading illiteracy challenge. Mm-hmm. And let's say you had a elder who had prescription medicine and their inability to read sort of led them to take improper doses or miss something or, you know, something like that. Like if that were the case, we would take that very seriously and we would put all of these systems and things in place to ensure that we keep these people safe. But we don't think about the sort of ramifications or consequences of illiteracy when it comes to money. So all of that to say and joking aside, that's why we are covering this particular subject in this conversation. Um, So let's dive into it and uh, let's see what we come up with. So yeah, I'll just start with this. We mentioned it briefly in episode 36 when we were talking about why we were so excited about robo-advisors, but I think it's worth mentioning again because it could unlock more people feeling empowered in their relationship with tech, specifically for finance. Here's the thing. This isn't really new. Right. In fact, it's been a long time coming. A lot of this is the result of 2008, once banks lost consumer trust after the financial crisis, the tech company saw an opportunity to work directly with consumers. That's what a lot of this is. Yep. Some of the innovation we're seeing right now is because of COVID acceleration and just, you know, companies having to pivot. But a lot of it existed behind the scenes before that. We just had this middleman in the form of a teller or a branch manager who was doing all the clickety clack for us. But right. like they were using the exact same technology to open your account or deposit your check. When I think about the basics of banking from opening a bank account or even depositing a check, all of that involves some form of tech literacy. Yep. I haven't been in a bank in a very long time, but the last time I was there to deposit something, it still definitely involved a keypad or a tablet. Like yep. before I used to just scribble on the piece of paper, slide it under the glass, and then that'd be it. She would do everything for you. But now you have to do like some verification. There's still technology even inside the bank. Yep. And beyond just opening accounts and paying bills online and setting up bill pay, all of that requires a baseline understanding. And so then when you move into more advanced topics like security protocols and two-factor authorization or digital wallets and sending money via Zelle, Cash App, it gets very complex very fast. Yeah. And so I don't blame a lot of people from being like, nah, I'm good on that. Yeah, like, it's, it's a lot. It's, it's a moving lot. fast. And like, you know, the, you talk about the idea of people being left behind. Like, it, that's sort of what it feels like. It is. You know, it's funny. Your mama asked me <laughs> over Christmas, your mom asked me what an NFT was. <laughs> and I had been preparing for this conversation for weeks. I thought it was going to happen over Thanksgiving, but I thought it was going to be my brother or my sister-in-law that would ask because, you know, yeah. that's what we, you know, I figured they would want to know, like, what y'all think about NFTs? But no, it was your mother. And she, she'd been dying to ask me. She'd been thinking about it for a while. And just waited until it was just me and her. And she- I would have loved to hear some guesses. <laughs> she kept hearing about it on the news. And right. she's like, what is it? And yeah. I just explained it to her. And she's like, oh. Psh. Well, I'd rather her ask about what it is and ask for one. <laughs> but it was important because I'm sure in due time, somebody will try to sell her one via email or text message. Oh, gosh. No. I can't even think about that. Okay. Right. So let's, let's <laughs> obviously, this is a huge, huge topic. And I just want to say Kirsten is the one that veered off I was about just to- now. And not me. You went with me, though. But, you know, I tolerated it and I accepted anyway, it. Anyway, I'm not I want to 
dig into uh, this topic because it is a pretty big one. And I want to try to focus us around a couple of key points. Y'all know me. I love a good meaty study. And I've been sitting on this study for a long time. I just hadn't really dove into it. We've incorporated some of these elements into our forthcoming book. You're going to get used to us saying that quite a bit. Um <laughs> because we're very excited about it. But um, I want to sort of tap into some of that right now. And so I found the study from 2018. It was published by the U.S. Department of Education, and it's entitled A Description of U.S. Adults Who Are Not Digitally Literate. We can hmm. link to this in the show notes. You can Google that as well, and you'll be able to find it, and you can open it up. I want to say it's around 30-some-odd pages. Pretty easy to read. Um and obviously, they have tons of findings about the state of digital literacy in the United States. And so I want to ask the question, what percentage of U.S. adults do you think between the ages of 18 and 65 are digitally illiterate? I know that's a big, big yeah, range. Yeah, that's a huge range. Yes. I hate ranges that are <laughs> this big, 18 to 65, yes. that are digitally illiterate. Yes. Okay, so I'm going to skew the older people to more, I would say 30% of people are digitally illiterate. That's not bad. Uh, it's Yeah, so that's not a bad guess. The answer is uh, 16%. Oh. Okay. Yeah. So six, that's actually well, how we define digitally illiterate. I'm going to get to that. I'm going to get to that. But 16 percent of people in the U.S. between the ages of 18 and 65 are considered to be digitally digitally illiterate. I want to make sure I'm not messing that up. So roughly one in six people, six and a half, or roughly 32 million people in the United States between the ages of 18 and 65 are considered digitally illiterate. And the way that they came up with that uh, was by, or was through an assessment. And basically they offered up an assessment. And if you failed the assessment or if you admitted to having no computer experience whatsoever, or if you opted out of the assessment entirely, um, you were sort of lumped into this category. And that's where they came up with that 16%. Oh, that's interesting. So they gave a digital assessment, a computer assessment yeah. to figure out if you're digital. Li- I can't even say that yeah. word. <laughs> Digitally <laughs> illiterate. There's Digitally. a lot of jumping up and down. It's a lot of work. Yeah. Digitally illiterate. Yes, and 16% of people were just like, nah, I'm not taking it. Or they I don't took have, it and failed. Took it and failed, or they didn't have any computer experience to C- even. C- okay, yeah, it. or they just admitted rather to saying, I have no computer experience whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Right? So, all that to say, like the majority of people in the US are considered digitally illiterate, but 16% are considered to not be. And obviously, there are some patterns. The majority of people are considered digitally literate. literate. Yes. Yeah, I probably should slow down because yes. that I, I don't want people to get mixed up. But all right, let's dive in. So obviously there are some patterns to be found with these 16% of U.S. adults. We want to see what some of those are. And some of them were uh, that they tended to be less educated. I don't think that's that surprising. Um, some of, uh, I'm sorry, they were found to be older. Mm. Um, which, again, not surprising. And they were more likely to be black, Hispanic, or foreign-born. Mm. I also found that when we look at, or the study also found that when you look at these people compared to other countries, so 16% of U.S. adults between that age group were found to be digitally illiterate. And for basically the rest of the world, that number was around 23%. So close, oh, okay. closer to like one in four adults outside of the U.S. were found to be uh, digitally illiterate. Does any of that surprise you? Yeah, I, I guess the the comparison to international, com- uh, 
countries is is not surprising. I think because the U.S. just has a way of ripping the Band-Aid off and yeah. we just like eliminate access to things if you aren't digitally literate. So yeah. kind of forces change versus other countries that still may, you know, accept cash or welcome yeah. walk-ins or have customer service people that can help you through a transaction. Yeah. But I also think that it it trends based off of what I'm seeing, attracts based off of what I'm seeing, um, based on the number of times that I see my relatives' Facebook accounts hacked because they've fallen for phishing emails yep. and still haven't quite learned not to click things from strangers, or even just like our general political climate and yep. the amount of fake news and how quickly articles that have extreme misinformation can spread online. It's just another indicator that people don't know how to suss out and do due diligence on the stuff that they see on the screens. But I think the bigger indicator that this is probably accurate to an extent is just our general hesitance to demand better from our institutions yeah. as Americans. So we don't even realize that better is possible. And so we still settle for things like receiving stimulus checks by mail or this tedious tax process where we go back and forth with the government, where we give them a number that we think we owe them. And then they tell us like, yeah, I agree. Or nah, I really don't agree. You actually 50, owe 50. me this. It's like, if you knew, why you didn't send it to me? Like, yeah. why, why are we doing this? Or even something as normalized as waiting two whole weeks to get a paycheck from an employer. Or in our case, as creatives, we'll wait 30, 60 days to yep. receive payment from work that we've done. All of those things can be made better with a focus on fintech and financial technology that exists today. But like the depths of our literacy as a country isn't quite there yet to demand better, to demand more. Yeah. And, and I would also say, you know, for the 80 some odd percent of people who are considered to be digitally literate, I'm sure there are degrees to oh, that literacy. Yeah. Right. So oh, yeah. let's. I don't want to be a downer, but let, let's not yeah, take pat it with ourselves a on the back and say, oh, well, then this is not a problem then, right? And I even mean, the sample size and the way that they've chosen to do the survey, yeah. like, weeds out a good number of people that yeah. <laughs> probably they just couldn't find because they're not digitally literate. Yeah, it's like, a survey. <laughs> it's a survey that is supposed to be representative of the you yeah, know, you're not sort of broader population. Digitally literate, it's very hard to find you to take a survey. That's true. That's true. Okay. Um, I want to dive into it a little bit more because I, I would imagine that listeners are wondering, well, what are the differences between age groups, which is certainly something that I was looking at. And here's how it breaks down. So the study um, broke it down by 10-year increments. So 16 to 24, 25 to 34, and so on. Here's what they found. Um, no surprise here, but 28% of people aged 55 to 65 were found to be not digitally illiterate. And so again, if you're looking at the national average around 16%, then you could argue that almost twice as many sort of were lumped into, or half of them, I should say rather, were lumped into that 55 to 65 group. 21% um, of people aged 45 to 54 14% of people aged 35 to 44, and just 11% of people aged 25 to 34. So in short, again, no big surprise there, but the older you got, the greater the likelihood that you were found to be or considered digitally illiterate. Got it. Yeah. That seems right. Yeah. Uh, the only exception I would say is the 55 to 65 range, because I feel like if I were to line up every 55 to 65-year-old that I know, I don't think that 72% of them could pass a digital sniff test, if you will. 
But to your point about the spectrum, you know, yeah, could they so take I a survey imagine, on a computer? Probably. Yeah, correct. And, and I would imagine, you know, if I'm just going to create a spectrum here, right? So it maybe starts on the low end at familiarity, you right. know, and then right. it's like, do you know what this is? Have yeah. you heard of it? And then it grows to comfort, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's ability to do something unsupervised. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think a lot of them, my guess would be that, you know, towards the lower end of that spectrum, you start to see some crowding and fewer and fewer people would be very digitally savvy and able to, you know, do something that, you know, someone who was very digitally savvy would be able to do relatively quickly. Yeah. I'm yeah. actually encouraged by the declining numbers because if you think of a generation as 30 years, in a generation, we've got 28% of 55-year-olds who are digitally illiterate, but only 11% of 25 to 34-year-olds. And so I imagine that this will be irrelevant to measure in the next decade or two because technology has finally entered the classrooms. Yeah. And so kids, our son age, he's four and a half, are growing up in schools where they have access to computers, smart TVs, yeah. tablets, and more. Whereas people who are 25 now may not have had that. Yeah. You know? And while there's still a lot to be done in terms of equitable funding and internet access in rural areas, I, I remain hopeful because at least those places know what they're not getting. Yeah. And there are these grassroots organizations that are fighting for them. And it's not like the willful ignorance of previous generations who are underestimating what impact not having access to the right tools could do for them. These people are aware that they could be having high speed internet. They could be having access to lesson plans and and news in their classrooms and they don't. And that's encouraging for me to know that at least they're fighting for it. Yeah, yeah. No, that's definitely good to hear. Um, Okay, so I don't want this to become like a long readout of the study. Obviously, if you want to read it and you want to (laughs) dig into it, you can do that. But there's a lot more in there. Like, we literally just scratched the surface. I want to move forward and talk a little bit more about, like, what the implications of digital literacy or illiteracy are um, for a lot of people, you know, across the United States. And I think the first problem that I think, and this may be obvious to you, but I think the first problem or like negative consequence or potential issue that we have here is around security, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a reason why hackers and fraudsters and scammers and the like target older people because they're far more likely to not know how to identify to your point, like what's real, what isn't, um, what's sort of valid. Are you a real sort of person of authority or are you just someone that's taking or trying to take advantage of me? And this could be like, from a call or a text or like a, to your point, a DM on social media that leads to someone's account being hacked. Like all of these things can lead to some potential financial blowback. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a very real issue. Um, in fact, the FBI um, has an entire team dedicated just to this. And they uncovered, according to their website, that about $3 billion are lost wow. annually tied to what they call elder fraud. And it comes from all, they even like broke it down by categories. They've got romance scams. Oh, that's a big TikTok I've, I've category. I've read about that. I've read about that. Or no, I've seen something um, on um, American Greed about romance scams. But with, it's also like a content strategy. Like there'll be people on TikTok talking about how they fell in love and there's like an 80 year age gap. And everybody in the comments it. is like, sis, protect your asses. Wow. Yeah. Oh man, that's sad. <laughs> Listen, get your granny <laughs> off, of off TikTok. of TikTok. Please. Okay. So there's romance scams. There's obviously tech support scams, which God. Yeah, I know. I, I'm like, I find this stuff really interesting, but like sort of t- 
tied or connected to this is like really, really heartbreaking. But tech support scams, criminals posing as relatives, which is so real. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I'm your grandchild from mm-hmm. se- like how many people do and you it's not know hard to do it. that have sent you a, a friend request just because you have the same last name yes. and you assume that they must be family, right? Yes. You've got sweepstakes, charity frauds. Like they've got all these different categories that are all lumped up together. And on an annual basis, literally $3 billion are lost from our elders and our grandparents. And uh, the internet is really to blame. Yeah, I totally agree. And it's such a difficult conversation to have because the solution almost feels like surveillance, even though it rarely is. It feels like we're saying that in order to protect them, we have to control them, we have to monitor them. And that's a really tough message to hear when you're already dealing with the realities of cognitive decline and decreased function. But it's a reminder for us that we, the children, aren't exempt from working on our own literacy. There are startups, protections, and books that are available to us right now that can help be this second set of eyes for our aging relatives. And unfortunately, we don't have enough time to get into that today. But I do think that this is a reminder to me that we should maybe do like another episode just focused on like a caretaker toolkit. Ooh, I like that. You know what I mean? Just things that help you and your loved ones stay organized and mitigate the risk of elder fraud. I like that. I almost called it elder flog, which (laughs) I don't know what that is. But anyway, I'm not going to veer. We're going to get back on the topic right after a quick break. Other implications of tech illiteracy on finances. I think it's safe to say that the discomfort or tech illiteracy will also make you less prone to adopt new platforms and investing opportunities. 100%. Right. So we talked about robo-advisors again on episode 36, but even something as simple as opening an initial investing account, for many people, the 401k is the first investing account that you ever only open, or even the only, yeah, yeah, to your point, the only investment account that you ever open. But imagine if you're not traditionally employed, or if you work for someone who doesn't offer one, or maybe they make you wait until after a probation period, if you're uncomfortable with tech, you're certainly not looking at apps like Robinhood or Cash App that have a lot of perks for novice investors, like easy interfaces, mm-hmm. no minimum balance requirements, and the ability to buy fractional shares. So you're basically missing out because you're not you know, willing to try some of these new apps. Or able. I'm trying. I'm trying to yeah, add yeah. some, no, you know, politically that. correct cushioning. It's not even politically saying, correct. It's just, it's just true. It, like it's there true. are some people that just aren't able to. Yeah. And it's it's crazy because I'd argue that most of the success stories that we hear in the news are from the most digitally savvy people, but it's the thing that they mention the least. And this is particularly true in the crypto space, but still relevant outside of it. Like we always preach about index funds, right? But at this point. And for those who are new to the podcast and don't know what an index fund, it's basically a bundle of stocks, right? You take a bunch of individual stocks, put them in a bundle, and you sell it as an index fund. So we talk about like, this is the easiest way to invest, just buy a bundle. But at this point, there are over 1,400 index funds. Right. So if you're not digitally savvy, 
how do you know which indices are the most promising? You yeah. certainly can't trust the first page of Google. And yeah. if you Google the fund, the fund's, of course, going to tell you, like, I'm the best. Well, two Pick things. Me. You may not know that you can't trust the first page of Google. Right. Uh, right. You may just be assuming that, well, it's there. It's fast. It must be legit, um, which I think is a fair statement. But I also think, um, to your point, and, and again, I'm trying not to veer here, but like even when we talk about making the jump to entrepreneurship, it's very difficult to do that. Yeah. Without having a fundamental comfort and understanding of technology, right? So when oh, you talk yeah. about sort of the implications, what this has, right? And, and then when you start talking about like where wage growth is going, where investment is going, and where likely wealth will be built in the future, it requires a baseline level mm-hmm. of comfort or literacy with technology, Um, which leads me to another implication or this one I'll go ahead and just call a consequence, which, you know, isn't necessarily relevant for entrepreneurs, but I think for traditionally employed people and it's around employability, right? So when we were in the traditional workforce, we would see this all the time. And and this was, I would say, like, you know, so in the earlier days of it, the early 2000s or late 2010s, 2010s, and we would see like... Ah, it sounds bad, but like executives sort of being turned over and sort of being replaced by younger, sharper, savvier talent, people who are able to do some of the snazzier Mm -hmm. presentations. And it wasn't just because like they were more efficient, but a lot of it also had to do with their ability to connect with younger employees. And attract employers, employees from other um, employers. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think what's really scary about this is, you know, how poorly people, or I should just say employees, uh, or just people in general, foreshadow change. I think yeah. a lot of people kind of assume that they can ride this out, right? Like they've got enough of an understanding of all of the bells and whistles to ride this out for another 10 years. And their financial lives are essentially uh, shaped by that. There's yes. this underlying assumption that they are going to earn the same amount of money that they are today, if not more, for the next 10 years. And they don't really know that actually the tech landscape or the, and, the, and therefore the requirements of what it may, uh, what you may need to do in order to maintain those salary levels are yes. going to be contingent or rel- reliant on your ability to adapt to change. Yes. And so if you don't do that, like there are very real earning implications um, mm-hmm. for you. And this, I can't, gosh, I'm saying this and I'm trying to be kind, but I remember working for a particular person, and I won't even say their gender. I will try my best not to do that. Um, But I remember working for them for a certain period of time. And every time I would send an email, or really anyone would send an email, she would print it out. I already blew it. (laughs) (laughs) It was a woman. I couldn't help it. Just happened to be a woman. It just happened to be a woman. (laughs) Go ahead. Anyway, she would print out Every single email. So I would go into her office. God, I feel so much better, like not trying to code this language. But I'm talking stacks. Yeah. Stacks of papers. Yes. And that's how she managed her workload and her day. Yeah. Like she, she and, and and then when she was ready to reply, which is why she was always on the go and super busy because a lot going on. I'm like, but it, it does not have to be this hard. <laughs> but she was, and it's not that she didn't know that she could reply, but the act of replying was very uncomfortable for her because she couldn't manage all of those conversations. She didn't know how to organize her inbox. She was just like, I'm done with it. Like, So I'm not, what would she do when she would need to reply? She would write the notes 
she would write a reply or like bullet points to her reply in paper. And then she had like a color coding system. Oh, okay. And then she would write that on it. And then whenever she was ready, like she would like bunch them up. So if I sent her like eight emails or something like it was last week, whenever she got around to me, she would like sort through all her papers, reply to all of the ones that she printed out and then like come over and then we'd have a meeting or then she'd come over to my desk or something like oh, that. Oh, so she walked the paper over to you. She'd walk the paper. She'd give it back to me like, oh, here. Here's your response. Here's like, <laughs> here's the thing that you've been looking for. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like, God forbid you had like a response to that note yeah. or didn't know how to read the handwriting or something like that. Like, yeah. it was just, it was a thing. And, it, and her expectation was that you adopt to her style. And it was like, because this is like the more thorough approach. Well, you know, doctors like used to taking do that for notes, prescriptions, that sort of thing. pre-technology. They just, oh, it still happens now. I, they, I know. I'm, I haven't had that happen in a while because my a, doctor just sends the prescription to whatever pharmacy I want. But like, to your point, there are like doctors who write, scribble on a piece of paper and like you're, you take it to a pharmacist and they have to like decipher. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Anyway, you're, <laughs> when you talk. Long story short, she was let go oh. <laughs> right after a while. And again, I'm not That's saying not that funny. to clown or joke, yeah. but it's like, you know, she was talented. She was literally in a digital marketing team, which is right. kind of wild in and of itself. This was 2015, right? In the digital marketing team, but like clearly uncomfortable with like the fundamentals of, of technology. But that goes back to the spectrum of literacy that yes. we talked about. There's yes. actually a running joke about millennial adulting and this milestone of finally owning a printer because allegedly we don't print anything and that's our problem. <laughs> Try not to. Like, we're so annoyed when we have to print something and it's I am actually. irrational and yet it's true. Like I bought tickets for something for Bo for our son. I had to print and it out. It was a kid. Yeah. I had to like bring the paper and I was just so confused about why they couldn't just scan my phone screen. Like, right. It's the same thing. But I imagine there was somebody who like defrauded them a while ago or, you know, Janice at the ticket office prefers paper. So we still require paper. Like, there's always a story. Janice. <laughs> but that, but that leads to this broader point in general financial adulting and how much of it requires that we're comfortable using technology, all technology printers, Emails, faxes. Well, not faxes. I mean, so, I don't know. But I, you know, to your Listen, point, I've had to fax a couple of things. I'm pretty in the last sure I've faxed years. two people last year and they needed it. Couldn't, yeah. couldn't move forward without it. Couldn't move forward without it. it. I know. Crazy. But it's even more important for us because a lot of our favorite brands and services don't have customer service departments at all. At all. So you got to know how to chat, ping, email, or tweet to get their attention. For instance, I am an avid Coinbase user. Coinbase is the app where we buy all of our cryptocurrency. And they recently expanded their services to sell NFTs. And they got a lot of new interests. Like millions of people joined this wait list. A lot of them novices, but have heard of NFTs. And we're like super excited that this app that they already have will sell them. And somebody quietly pointed out <laughs> that Coinbase doesn't even have a customer service number. They've yeah. got all this interest from people in this highly unregulated space and there's no customer service. And I was like, I, I never thought about that. They sure don't. Yeah. And for the first time, it made me take greater responsibility of my assets within their app and do things like research cold storage wallets yeah. and, you know, just take additional steps. I feel like I sound like an alarmist, but it's really wild out here for everybody, not just 
the elderly. Yeah, it's you know the what wilderness. I mean? It's the wild, yeah. wild web internet wilderness. <laughs> like it's crazy. The wild, wild. But I'm excited. Web. It is. That's the new WWW. <laughs> yes, wild, wild web. That's what my mom probably would guess. <laughs> All right. I know it's a lot. Sorry, y'all. I want to make sure we offer some tips. What can listeners do and what advice do you have to offer? Yes. Uh, so I don't know how old any of our listeners are. They're, 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 you know what? They're between the ages of 18 and 65. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what I know for sure. No, we probably got some 70 plus year if old If you listeners. are 70 plus years old, Your I mom need will you probably to listen. print out a transcript <laughs> of this podcast and mail it to Send me. Send us a note. And I will reply back. Um but I think it's fair to say, um, like, I think that something I would recommend for our listeners to do is, you know, is, is if you're engaging with someone who is uncomfortable with tech, especially if, particularly if they are older, I think there's value in meeting them where they are. And so if you're trying to just have general financial conversations with them, I know it's convenient for you to send them something that's come across your desk, your mm-hmm. literal digital desk. Mm-hmm. but. There are actually websites and platforms out there that are designed for members of the older generation, right? And as crazy as it sounds, AARP is still a very relevant brand. And a great they, one. A great brand. Do not sleep on AARP. In fact, Kirsten writes for a sort of sub-column of AARP on a, I'd say, regular basis. Mm-hmm. But... um. Great brand. There's another one that I found called nextavenue.org that I think is really, really great. Uh, and so if you're looking for just like some general advice or something that you can send to people that sort of uh, older people, especially that, um, may resonate with them a little bit more than like something from your fancy cutting edge mm-hmm. website. Like, you know, if you really want it to stick, then sort of meet them where they are, give them something that looks and feels like them. Uh, and I think that that is a really great uh, brand or platform. I think it's like, it's like if CBS and like money magazine had a baby, oh, like, okay. yeah, it's like catered to that generation. Yeah. All right. My recommendation is actually related to that caretaker toolkit that I was talking about earlier. And it's the app careful. Yep. C-A-R-E-F-U-L-L, two L's. And Careful is just one of those apps that I think every person who is responsible or serves in the caretaker role for somebody in their family should know about. Basically, what they do is watch accounts and transactions to catch all of the small issues before they become big ones. And then the app helps you communicate, resolve, and plan the next steps with your loved ones. And you might be thinking, like, can I do this by myself just by logging into their accounts? And the answer is yes, but no, not the same way. Because the secret sauce to Careful is that their proprietary technology learns what's typical, and then they can immediately spot anything that's out of the ordinary. So the more that you use it, the smarter and the more protected that you become. And then they also have money experts who are constantly researching new types of senior-specific scams and frauds and common money mistakes. And so their mission is to stay one step ahead. And because that's their full-time job, it's safe to assume that they're probably better at it than you are. Yeah. No yeah, shade. Yeah. And, and I and I would take it a step further and I would say better at it than the, your primary bank. This right. is their sort of core yeah, reason DNA. for existing exactly. is to help people like that. We actually met with the founders uh, last year um, and fell in love with the product. I think it's a fantastic product. So definitely if you're out there. And it wasn't launched when we talked to them. No, like, it this was, was still pre-launch. in beta. Like they've done a lot of 
um, additions and improvements since we last talked to them. Yep. So if you've got like two, three siblings or something like that, you can all sort of join it, communicate across the board and that sort of thing. Like it's, a, it's, it's designed to sort of make this part of managing your life and the financial life of an elder easier for you and to prevent fraud. So definitely add that to your forthcoming toolkit. The second one uh, that I, or I would say, the third one recommendation that I would say, this is more so I would say for people who are still in the workforce, uh, and that is LinkedIn Learning. This used to be called lynda.com, but it's basically online learning. It's really, really good. Like it's a huge library of courses that, you know, I would say really relevant for anyone. But going back to what we were discussing around employability, and being able to still um, be competitive in the job market and not lose income. I think obviously sharpening your skills or learning new skills is really, really important, especially for people who are in the latter part of their career. And there are all types of courses um, on LinkedIn learning that you can take, that elders can take at their own sort of time. They've got monthly subscriptions. I want to say it's like under $30 a month, or you can buy courses individually if you just see one that you want. Um, But I think it's a really, really great resource. Don't sleep on LinkedIn Learning, and we can link to that in the show notes as well. Definitely. Always good to brain train. Train train. train the brain. There you go. (laughs) All right. uh, Final thoughts. What do you got? All right, so I'm going to beat the drum again and just reinforce how important it is to have conversations about money with your parents or older people in your life because they may surprise you with what they already know, like Julian's mom did me. I'm glad I was able to explain to her what an NFT was before, you know, one of her friends or some stranger offered to her to buy one. And she would have thought she was making a good decision because everything on the news, you know, communicates that these are good things and that everybody's into them. Right. So we we talk a lot about having conversations about money with our partners, but we often forget to do that with our parents. And we kind of let respect for our elders get in the way of identifying an issue before it becomes a problem yes. or even just shaping the way that they're thinking about some of the stuff that they're hearing on the news. Yeah. You kind of stole my final thoughts. So I'm <laughs> going to pivot you can and say... Say it again differently. Mm, no, it's okay. You did what you did. <laughs> um, I will say, um, don't be afraid. Like going back to what you said around not letting respect for your elders get in the way. I think, especially if you have children, you know that there are all kinds of things that you want to do to make sure that your children aren't being exposed to things that are inappropriate on the internet. Right. Those same kinds of measures can be done on your regular browser. Don't be afraid to do that with your parents. Um because it's really important. And unfortunately, because financial fraud is such a delicate subject, they may be prone to not share that information with you until mm-hmm. it's too late. They don't want to, they want to try to solve it themselves. And before you know it, it's gotten so deep down the hole and that don't, they don't have a choice but to share it with you. And you are likely going to be the one who are left sort of cleaning up the mess or forced to deal with it. Mm-hmm. We have heard some horror stories out there and we don't want to scare you guys. This is really about helping keep you prepared. Um, and again, the, these types of issues naturally come out of nowhere. And so this is about being proactive and making sure that we're doing everything that we can to protect not just our kids, but also our lovely, lovely elders or anyone out there who was important in our lives that is unfamiliar with technology. Oh, wonderful. 
Well, thank you for listening to another episode of the Rich and Regular podcast presented by Success. If you like what you heard and are feeling like testing your own tech literacy, see if you can figure out how to leave us a five-star rating and review. (laughs) We'll see y'all next week. (laughs) Bye.